Welcome to History and Film. I'm Rich Simmons. We would like to get into some listener feedback this season, so if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about anything even tangentially related to the podcast, you can send an email to Simmons, S-I-M-M-O-N-S, at tracknerds.com, or hit me up on Twitter, where my handle is, at tracknerds. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the show. Okay, so this week we are again in Southeast Asia. Last week we were in Indonesia in 1965. Today brings us to Vietnam in 1967 with the 1986 Oscar winner for Best Picture, Oliver Stone's Platoon, which does have an 88% on Rotten Tomatoes and is considered kind of a more recent classic in a lot of ways. And I'm guessing this is one you've seen many times before. Yeah, I've seen this uh, a bunch of times. Uh, it's one of my favorites. I think it's on, it's somewhere in the 80s, mid 80s on the AFI's 100 Years, 100 Movies. Yes, I was going to mention that too, but I couldn't remember where it was or if it was on both lists when they kind of updated that at one point. But yes, it, it is considered one of the greatest movies of all time by many people. Yeah, yeah, and, and rightly so. You know, you have the crazy awesome performances from Tom Perringer and Willem Dafoe. And it's, you know, it's another one of those movies, kind of like we talked about with Casablanca, where when you watch it now, it's like, oh, like a lot of this stuff seems kind of cliche, but it's just because this movie has been endlessly parodied and ripped off. You know, this was the this was the original movie that did um, a lot of these things. Yes. And the iconic image on the front cover is Willem Dafoe on his well, you can't tell someone to fall on the cover, but it's the soldier with his arms up in the air, and he's he's been you know shot. And it's technically a spoiler on the cover, but you, I guess if you know it's yeah. on the foe, I mean, I guess you're not thinking that guy's getting ready to get up and mow them down and get on the helicopter in time. I just don't think that's what you're getting from yeah. that picture. <laughs> <laughs> Which apparently, and this is a side note right off the bat, but I was watching it on um, Amazon, and they have the uh, you know little trivia stuff will pop up. Um, apparently the shot that was used in the movie is actually a mistake shot. There was supposed to be a bunch of like blood squibs that uh, went off and like basically looked like he just got shot to pieces, but they, none of them went off. They all failed. And Oliver Stone said that performance that he gave at that, in that scene, that time that they shot it was so good that he didn't even care. He's like, yeah, that's going to the movie. Well, it's interesting you say that. Cause I remember kind of thinking he looks kind of okay. I mean, like, of course, we know he had been shot earlier in the forest. <laughs> Spoiler alert! Mm-hmm. By, by by Tom Berenger or whatever, and he's running out here, and it's like he's acting like he's getting shot and he's falling down. But for a violent movie, I was even kind of thinking there's not a lot of damage. I didn't think about oh, because right. the damage which didn't, didn't work. Every other every other person that you see like close up getting shot in this movie, it's like blood and pieces right, of flying right. off everywhere and, and then this it's is PG-13, you know, this one right. iconic shot <laughs> yeah um you know he, he just like shakes and it, but there's no there's no blood or gore or anything and yeah Interesting. all of the all their squibs fail to go off huh which uh, and again not everybody is familiar with the movie making term squib it is basically like an exploding pack that makes it look like blood oh, right. out. so yeah it's just it, they're just kind of remote detonated they say it actually even burns a little bit because it is a little small i mean tiny tiny it's like it's like a it's like a firecracker. Yeah, like a firecracker, yeah. Exactly. Blows out blood, it shoots yeah. out blood, yeah. So, so it's called, called a squib, and they can detonate those on actors to make it look pretty realistic. So obviously we're dealing with the Vietnam War today, but I wanted to give a brief background on Vietnam itself. And so similar to what we see in a lot of this part, a lot of parts of the world where just various tribes of humans just kind of vying for power over the centuries. 
And an interesting one fairly early on in Vietnam, though, that I ran across today that I thought was worth mentioning is the Trung sisters. I, I'm, I have not heard of these girls before, but had you? Probably not. No, uh, no. The the research that I did into just into Vietnam only went back into like the uh, the mid 1800s, I guess, when they were, a, you know, became a, a French territory. So like beyond that. OK, yeah, yeah, yeah. So these two sisters in the first century AD who kind of just helped organize the rebellion against, you know, Chinese control into Vietnam and they ultimately became queens in the first century in Vietnam and there's multiple depictions of them like riding elephants into battle and they only had about a three-year reign but they are still super iconic in Vietnam to this day. It's like national folk heroes. It'd be different. So you think of like something like Mulan. Well, Mulan was just a legend, but these two are considered historical figures. And I think they even say the Chinese sources mentioned them too. So yeah, in the first century, you had sister queens in battle fighting for the Vietnamese, which I thought was just kind of fascinating and a story I'd never heard before. Yeah, hurry up and uh, write a screenplay for that. <laughs> I know, right? That sounds awesome. Yeah, so yeah. So then over the centuries, so yeah, they kind of have their autonomous, you know, varying factions within Vietnam. And then as China's becoming more of a player, it does mostly, for most of the timeline, you know, after that, China was largely in control of Vietnam or parts of what is now Vietnam. And But then it gets to the point where China kind of lets it mostly be autonomous and they kind of hold their own. They actually, they're, they famously repel the Mongols on three separate occasions from taking over. And then like you mentioned, the French kind of gain control in what is it about the 17, 1800s? Yeah, I think it was like the, the 1800s. Yeah, so that kind of ties into what you think of as, you know, French Indochina and kind of one of those things where I think the French were helping them at first and then kind of end up kind of more of an oppressor. But then that leads us into World War II when Japan takes over everything in this part of the world. And as Japan is failing, then you have communists within Vietnam that start battling the French for control of their own country when they, of course, instantly get Chinese and Soviet backing And that ultimately ends with a communist North Vietnam and a separate republic uh, in the south of Vietnam, South Vietnam. Right. Well, and during World War Two and actually immediately following World War Two, the U.S. was actually so the U.S. was helping the Vietnamese kick the Japanese out of Vietnam during World War Two. So it was like the OSS, basically the, you know, the, the CIA before it was the CIA was helping, you know, arm and train, you know, Vietnamese soldiers during World War Two to help kick the Japanese out. Then immediately following the war, America and the Vietnamese were like kind of buddy buddy. But then eventually, you know, France was like, well, we want to hang on to this territory. Um, and if we don't hang on to it, um, you know, then the base, you know, the communists are going to take over. And so that's that's how then there was that that flip where that it's like, OK, well, now America is going to back the French in their quest to, to hang on to it. That way it doesn't fall into, you know, Russian or Chinese control. Gotcha. And so you have, yeah, basically you have two separate countries then essentially, or for all intents and purposes, or on paper. I don't know what the exact, you know, who recognized what. But there's two two countries, one communist, one not. But there are communists, though, living within the South who are right. very outspoken. And that kind of ultimately then, again, everything happens slowly in history. But that leads to this heavy U.S. presence and ultimately breaks out into the Vietnam War, where it's kind of this 
proxy war during the Cold War right, with yep. the Soviet Union backing North Vietnam and us backing South Vietnam. And it just come, becomes this protracted conflict that obviously we had a huge commitment of troops and a huge loss of life. And then the movie today focuses specifically on in 1967, where we follow Charlie Sheen's character, who is a, a newbie. And they, they, they do a neat thing where they kind of just have uh, this constant voiceover where it's, I guess it's kind of like him writing letters back home to his grandma or something, right? Right. And just how when you're new, they don't even want to get to know you because odds are you're going to be dead in a couple of weeks anyway. So they don't want to get too close right. to you. Well, that's that's something that you see parodied a lot. Or I'm sure it's, uh, you know, kind of a universal thing, but it's like explicitly mentioned in this movie. And then you see that in, you know, subsequent war movies. I mean, even to this day, where it's like, oh, you know, you don't everyone, you know, treats the new guy like shit because, right. oh, we can't get to know him because, you know, they'll probably be dead in a couple of weeks. It's like, OK, that's that's platoon. Like, that's what I came from. True, true. And yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if there's earlier movies that do it. But yes, I think this is kind of the iconic one that really just, you know, shines a light on. Uh, yeah, you're yeah, gonna die soon. It's almost like a trope now, like you said. Right. So how long, I guess the movie covers basically his whole time there. So is it supposed to be about a full year or at least several months? Uh, so it's, he doesn't stay there for a year. Right. Because he gets, they mentioned we're two, at the end of the movie, him and his buddy talk about being two timers. So basically he gets wounded twice. So then he's allowed to leave. So it might have only been a few months that he was there. But his, yeah, but his initial, you know, when, when you first show up, basically you are either going to get killed or you're going to get wounded twice or, you know, wounded once so bad that you can't fight anymore or um, you stay there for a full year. Gotcha. So two, two relatively minor injuries would get you a ticket home. Well, yeah, because like his first injury is like when he uh, shot in the neck. He gets sh- Yeah, he gets that, that the neck wound and then he gets you know, I think he gets shot again or something at the end of the. And, it, and that was a little more substantial that one at the, the second time around. Yeah, because he, I mean, he wasn't even able to to walk himself um, to the helicopter. But but yeah, so he was, uh, you know, he got wounded twice, so he got to leave. But I, yeah, I, I don't think it was. It was definitely a few months, but I don't think it was the full year. Okay. But then you see guys like uh, Sergeant O'Neill character, and uh, you know he's talking about uh, to Tom Berenger about the. Uh, you know, oh, I just want a couple days of R and R. He's like, we can't spare you for even three days. So you know, the, I don't have a choice. Like, I have to tell you no. And then at the very end of the movie, all of his friends are either dead or getting, sh- you know, shipped off in these medevac helicopters. And now the platoon is his. He's you know mm. in charge of the platoon now, um, right. and has to basically keep going until his year is up or he gets killed. Yeah, and so a couple things. One. Charlie Sheen's character is, in many ways, a proxy for Oliver Stone himself, who did volunteer for Vietnam, just like Charlie Sheen's character did. Obviously, most of the guys around there seem to have been drafted, and they kind of just can't believe themselves when Charlie Sheen's character said that he volunteered. He even says something like, I didn't just want the you know, the poor kids coming over here and dying. I wanted to feel like I was contributing too. And so similar to Oliver Stone, Oliver Stone dropped out of Yale to go over to Vietnam. And then the film also deals with, they, they kind of set up Tom Berenger's character and Willem Dafoe's character as these ideological opposites. 
So, and that's basically the, kind of the theme of the movie. Because, like, plot-wise, it's basically just war is hell. It's this anti-war film. And just, it's not really even about the Vietnam War, per se. It's about the hell that was the Vietnam War. But right. the story is more of an ideological one with right. the kind of what is right and doing what's morally just. But then that camp is also the more kind of free-love, pot-smoking group. And that's Willem Dafoe's group that Charlie Sheen seems to migrate more toward. And then Tom Berenger's group is more like, yes, war is hell and we're the devils. And it's like, whatever it takes and the ends justify the means. And we're going to be a little more ruthless dealing with the native population because you never know which one of them could actually be out to get us and protecting the U.S. soldiers is all that matters. So you definitely see that split and it kind of just is a constant source of conflict throughout the movie with the Vietnamese almost being this kind of faceless mass. We don't really meet any individual Vietnamese people that become significant characters, but they are definitely dealt yeah. with. But it's more about how our troops deal with them. And this right. this movie is dark. This is a dark, yeah. dark, depressing movie, but it's really one you got to see. And that theme of, you know, the, the war is hell and, and the fact that there's not really a plot, it, it's different from... You know, like if you go back and watch like movies about World War Two or movies about World War One, where, you know, there's a plot, there's always a mission, there's an objective, you know, you can, you know, who the quote unquote bad guys are, or, you know, the, who the enemy is. And in this movie, uh, much like in the, the actual Vietnam War, you're kind of disoriented. You don't really know, like, geographically where anything is. The way that it's edited and shot, it's kind of confusing, like the, the geometry of like the different battles that they're in. Like, you don't know which way is really forward or backward or, or it's dark, both, you know, like the themes are dark, but it's also a lot of the movie, at least the battle scenes are literally dark. It's hard to see right, the I characters or what's yeah. going on, but it's, you know, it's this kind of like confusing, disorienting mess that these guys are just trying to like get through. And none of them really even care about like, Oh, you know, we, we have, you know, like this and this political or military objective. They're like, I'm just trying to not get killed so that I can maybe go home at the end of this year or at least survive two, you know, flesh wounds to just get out of here. Right. The goal isn't advancing our territory or saving anybody. The goal is I want to live and go home. Yep. That's the goal. It made me think of imagine the, you know, the trench warfare of All Choir on the Western Front or Paz the Glory and put it in a in a can and shake it up and then dump it into a jungle and be like okay now go yeah and it's like just imagine how disorienting and just chaotic that would be and that's exactly what these characters are are living through and it is an absolute disaster also real fast before we go on uh you mentioned earlier about how charlie sheen's character drops out of college to go fight in the war and uh, i think it's when he's talking to keith david's character and he says you know oh well, i was tired of seeing all the rich kids get to stay home and the poor kids have to go fight and the rich kids just get away with it and keith david says you got to be rich first basically to be able to have that viewpoint huh. kind of like you know like yeah it's a good thing that you're doing but you're still you have that luxury of even having that viewpoint Right. You can have you can have that ideology because you're already rich. Like, I don't have a choice. Uh, it doesn't matter what my ideology is. Like, I'm going to be here no matter what. Right. Ugh. And as far as the story in the movie goes, there's really not much else to add. And that's the thing. Like, you know, the, the movie isn't it's not about any specific battle. It's not about, you know, it, it takes place over just a couple of months in the Vietnam War lasted over 10 years. So yeah, there's no specific historical figures. Yeah, yeah, right. None of these, none of these uh, soldiers are, are real guys. There's no 
specific, or there, there is, I think, an illusion by Willem Dafoe talking about, oh, when I was here in 65, we were doing this and this. But it, I mean, he, he's not, he doesn't say anything about like the political climate or, or, or how the border has changed or, or, you know, anything like that. Just kind of, I, I think it's like a, a tactics discussion that he's having, but that's really the only, the only clue that we get in the movie as to, as to when this is. Yeah. It's, it's, I mean, this, this is like a, it's a Vietnam war movie without being about anything specific in the Vietnam war. It just kind of embodies the essence of the Vietnam war. And now this would have been too the first major conflict in U S history that saw a major pushback at home. Right. As far as just, I mean, you had protests and demonstrations in the street over this conflict. And I think that's largely the conflict of itself being, you know, a questionable endeavor, but also they always have talked about the media presence and the fact that we were seeing more of the horrors of the Vietnam War that we had not seen in previous conflicts. Yeah. And and like, you know, with with uh, with like World War Two and stuff, I mean, you see, you know, in, in the late 30s um, and pretty much before Pearl Harbor, you did have the people who were non-interventionists, you know, let Europe have their war. Sure. Like, we don't need to get into that. But once Pearl Harbor happens, pretty much the entire country got on board with, okay, you know what, we we need to finish this. Like, this is something we need to do. But yeah, with the, you know, between the fact that this, you know, that this isn't a quote unquote big bad, like, you know, right. Adolf, Adolf Hitler. It was an This is just war. like, we are fighting, right. We're, and, and it's, they're not even really fighting a, you know, a, a country's enemy. They're, they're just fighting communism. Right. And it's like, how are you supposed to fight a war against an idea um, and then at the same time, you know, like, like you said before, you, you have the media is showing unedited, uncut, raw footage from the Vietnam War of Americans getting killed for what? And it's on everyone's TV every single night. Uh, the one other thing it addresses, too, and I don't know how many other war movies we've seen this in about, you know, the previous wars, but the fine line sometimes between killing someone in combat and then straight up murder. And then the position you're putting these young soldiers in when you're basically getting these guys right out of high school and then putting them in charge of life and death over halfway across the world. And yeah, it's one thing to kill an enemy combatant in combat, but then when they're kind of terrorizing that village and the one dude just flat up murders that guy in that hut and it's like, yep. that, and, that, and half the guys think, yep, that's all right. Because you see them as subhuman yep. and just, but at the same time, it's like, this is a 19 year old kid. Or even if they don't think that it's all right, or, you know, they don't agree with it at the very least. They're like, Oh, I didn't see anything. Like I'm not going to cause, uh, you know, I'm not going to like bring this up. Right. Right. But, and, and then, you know, at, at the end of that scene, like the good direct, the official directive that they're given by their commander, uh, their Lieutenant is to burn the village and take all the males and, you know, burn all of their rice and food and let all the animals go. Just in case they were using those resources to help soldiers. Right. So, you know, it's it's, it's one thing to have, like, you know, your one-off soldier, you know, lose his mind and butt-stroke a guy to death in a hut. But then the lieutenant is like, no, the official response of the military for this situation is to destroy the entire village. Wow. So... Ultimately, the United States pulled out of Vietnam in 1973, and actually it was kind of just because Nixon was in the midst of all the Watergate issue. Oh, that's actually something that I wanted to bring up was this is also a first in American history is like the all of the political, like the home political stuff that affects this war that is it's separate from it, like the JFK assassination and then, you know, the, the Watergate scandal. 
you know, there's all this stuff that's happening in American politics that have nothing to do with the Vietnam War, but it shapes the Vietnam War. You know, once Kennedy is killed, you have Johnson becomes president, and then he's the one who ultimately, you know, commits a bunch of troops to the war and, and you know, basically turns it into the major level conflict that we know it as today. And then you're right, at the end, uh, it's a, a completely unrelated American political issue, the Watergate scandal. You know, Nixon's like, I don't really have time to be dealing with this Vietnam War thing. Um, so let's get out. Right. And then within a couple of years, the North overruns the South and you have the fall of Saigon. And now fast forward to the present and a combined Vietnam is still a communist country to this day. And what were the U.S. casualty numbers? 50 something thousand, almost 60,000. Yeah, okay. oh, 58,318 uh, dead. Right. To to a war that was completely optional and we just thought it would be a good idea if we didn't let the Soviets have this victory, which the victory they ultimately gained hurt us how? Other than it's like a PR thing? Like was this just basic PR of capitalism versus communism? Pretty much. It was part of that whole that whole thing of well, if we let communism spread to even one country, then communism is gonna take over every country. Which I mean, to a point maybe, but I mean, come on, we're we're sac- we sacrificed 58,000 men, and then how many other, you know, the, obviously the damage done to Vietnam itself. Oh, yeah, and, and, and you think about the, the hundreds of thousands of wounded, all of the uh, psychological issues right. inflicted on That's Vietnam vets. huge, right. How many homeless people on the streets today are Vietnam vets? Exactly, exactly. And then uh, just the uh, intangible stuff, like the, the damage to, like, the psyche of... America, basically, like, you know, after after World War Two, we're riding this high, like, you know, we're this huge, we're this huge world power, you know, our economy's awesome, you know, we just crushed Hitler, like we defeated evil, we, you know, vanquished the bad guy, like we are the best. And now, 20 years later, 30 years later, we just got out of this conflict where we destroyed, you know, millions and millions of lives, killed millions of civilians, scores of American dead. Um, and ultimately for an outcome that would have been barely different than if we would have never done it at all in the first place. And now what I am curious is maybe a quick little thought experiment here is in a world where we just, we said, you know what, it's sad, but maybe had a little more foresight after Korea and everything to see like, you know, this is just not a part of the world that we feel like we can mount any kind of successful attack. Maybe we do a little air support base, you know, so we get involved a little bit, but ultimately we don't commit and it falls a lot sooner but then what changes what is the ripple effect of that do we get in another conflict because yeah. we have a little more com- confidence and maybe there's some other conflicts that in, you know we need to get into the 70s and 80s that maybe we would have undertook or russia is emboldened because we weren't you know kind of punching them in the nose during this or i don't know any thoughts on that i don't know uh but that like that exact question is the that's the basically the premise of the stephen king book 11 63 where the guy goes back in time said he goes back in time to stop the jfk assassination and that's one of the huge things is, oh, well, you know, JFK was definitely going to be uh, a lot less anti-Vietnam. Yeah, he was, he was going to be a lot more anti-Vietnam and, and, you know, probably wouldn't have committed the, the troops like LBJ did. But that, yeah, that's that's like the whole start of that book, basically. OK, yeah. And then you get into all the conspiracy theories about how maybe the muddied interests that wanted the war to happen, maybe tried to get JFK out of the way. And then 
the movie JFK is also by Oliver Stone. Right, yep. And this is also the first of what they kind of call his Vietnam trilogy, which I was aware of, Born on the Fourth of July, that comes out a few years after this. But there was a third Mm -hmm. that I had not seen called, what, Heaven and Earth? That was not as highly reviewed. Yeah, that came out in 93. Okay. It said, yeah, Tommy Lee Jones, and I've I've never seen it. Okay. And and again, I think it is kind of considered not as as strong as these other two. Because Born on the Fourth of July is a very strong movie and a Best Picture nominee itself. Yep. Just a, a couple of trivia things for this movie. Apparently, one of the, I think it was the, well, I don't know which character it was, but uh, Kevin Costner was supposed to play a role in this movie, but I think it turned it down to work on something else. And then, you know, he got, obviously, he's the main character in JFK. And then also Jim Morrison of The Doors was supposed to play the Charlie Sheen character and actually had the script in his room, like had it on him when he was found dead in Paris. For Platoon? That would have been a lot earlier. Right. So so Oliver Stone wrote the screenplay for a movie called Break in 1968 when he first got back from Vietnam. And sent that to Morrison. And that was like the base. It was like a proto platoon, even though that movie itself was never made. And that was the script that was sent to Jim Morrison to play the the character that in that story is basically the Charlie Sheen character, you know, an, an Oliver Stone uh, connection between this movie and Jim Morrison. And then Oliver Stone made The Doors, which is about Jim Morrison's life. Um, and another quick tidbit from this is just from memory. I didn't see it in my research today, but that Oliver Stone probably did have some kills to his credit. I don't know if credit's the right word, but to his record in, in Vietnam. And, and I believe the story I heard was that it was basically it's similar to, and again, I think you kind of see Charlie Sheen do it in the movie, but it's the where he does lob a grenade into a hole. I think Oliver Stone uh-huh. actually did do that and, and killed some guys over there. Because obviously not everybody. Oh, I mean, so, so, I mean, he was, he was an infantry guy um, in Vietnam. He was in the 25th Infantry Division, which is the unit that is all the guys are a part of in the movie. And he has, I mean, he has a combat infantry badge. He has a, uh, he got a bronze star for valor. So, I mean, he, he definitely saw combat and he has a two purple hearts. So he was wounded twice as well. Right. So he was in the thick of it, just like we see in the movie. Yeah. Man, I, I, that's, I don't know, that's got to be rough to even then make these movies then if you, how do you not give yourself PTSD, you know what I'm saying, when you're kind of revisiting a lot of these things this way? Or a lot of it yeah. though is just uh, to what level it gets to you. I mean, not it's almost like a genetic factor. Like, I don't know, I don't, you're, not, you're not less than if it gets to you, but I think some people just react differently to the, to the stress or the trauma. And right. tying it back to something we talked about, I think probably when we were dealing with World War One is... I've heard it related to this predator versus prey thing and that basically what causes this stress reaction is if you are stressed in a way that makes you feel like prey for an extended period of time, it kind of does break you. And that's kind of what leads to PTSD. But yet if you're seeing the same levels of violence, but you feel like you have some level of control and you're maybe the, not even necessarily uh, the aggressor, but if you don't feel like prey and you feel more like a predator, but it's still okay. the same amount of violence, it doesn't break you. It's that feeling of being helpless and being prey and being chased that causes the break. And again, that's just kind of some things I've heard with, with uh, psychologists talking on podcasts and stuff. But I, that, that's my understanding of it, which is why you can also see it in huh. abuse victims and stuff without going to war. I thought that same yeah. level of PTSD, if they're kind of put in that situation where they're made to feel like prey or helpless yeah I've, I've never even i've never thought of that distinction before but yeah that that makes sense 
Yeah, that's interesting. So yeah, if you're, if you're being, if, so even like in the modern war, you know, look at something like going on in Iraq or Afghanistan. If you're just being shelled for a long period of time, that's going to cause your PTSD. But if you're out on all these raids and killing guys, it might not because you just, yeah, that's a different kind of trauma for you, but it doesn't necessarily, necessarily that same psychological break as, as often. Um, and again, yeah. not an expert. I'm just kind of quoting what I remember from some experts. So yes, that should do it for the Vietnam War for us. And next week, we will head over to Africa and deal with Idi Amin in Uganda with The Last King of Scotland.